Welcome back, everybody, to the Count to Ten podcast with me, your host, Bree Hall. And here on the podcast, we discuss how marginalized people live a lot of dual and sometimes triple, quadruple realities in society. And we're fighting a lot of battles at the same time. This podcast is always just about you being a fly on the wall to some of these conversations. So we have a very special guest today, one of the most talented people I know, y'all. Like, when I say this, this is real tea, okay? The talented, amazing Manny Wells is here with us today. And Manny, can you give the people a little introduction to yourself? I mean, I'm so excited to have you here. What up, what up? Thank you so much for having me. My name is Manny Wells, and I love music. You know, like, I love producing, I love writing. But more than that, I love people and I want to use music as a tool to reach and help people. And music is such an important part of a lot of the things we speak about here. As y'all know, being a creative myself, it's a big part of society as well. So how did you begin your journey and pathway into music? And tell us a little bit more about the style of music you create and all that. Give us all the tea. I mean, long story short, I was born into music. I just fell in love with music at a really early age. My dad's a musician. And I just grew up listening to his music. I got to a certain age and then he started putting me on stage. I always kept like curiosity as far as like, how do certain people make records? I was listening to Timberland and Nigeria on the radio and like Aaliyah. And I'm like, how did he like make that beat? So I kept that same curiosity till I was like 15. And my friend asked me if I knew who Ryan Leslie was. I was like, no. So he showed me the video. As soon as I watched the video, I don't remember anything that happened that day in school. The only thing I remember is running off the bus to go download Fruity Loops. And after that, it was a wrap. (laughs) You know, you mentioned one of the goats, okay? So like, when you first got exposed to Ryan Leslie, what about him, for the listeners that might not know, if you don't know, y'all gotta get hit, but can you tell us a little more about what that experience was like the first time you tuned into his stuff and how that impacted you? I think what drew me to him was the fact that he was kind of playing everything. Play like these different drums and piecing the songs together was really amazing. And I knew that I wanted to be that type of producer who can play live instruments, but also able to like just give life to a record being like versatile. Definitely. So you talked about how life experiences and things play into your music and how you want to give people a sonic experience, right? And you also spoke a little bit about how people have influenced you. But when you have your, you know, first project, Soul Fro, one of my favorites all time, where you have tracks like Watermelon that sounds like an upbeat cookout, listening to this with family type of track, but there's a deeper meaning in that. So can you tell us a little bit more about how some of your own personal life experiences influence your music? Oh, man. I don't think I would be able to create without experiences and even as a creative, I challenge myself to not create in the same space for too long. So like I would leave the studio like a week ago, I just locked myself in a hotel room and the vibe and the challenge was different. So like I have to go through these different experiences, heartbreak, love, lust, joy, hope, sadness, all these different things, relationship with mom, conversations, Mm. like all these different things just help me write like my relationship with like my friends like my female friends my male friends Mm. like what are they going through and from the old people and the young people or things that i see on the internet 
I'm always like pushing myself to be present and just experience what's going on because selfishly it'll help me write a great song. You know what I'm saying? So that's so funny. I was just watching a little master class today where Issa Rae had just said that she's doing the same thing you do where it's being like nosy and in people's like every time I meet a stranger, every time my friend is talking, she said, Don't be surprised if it it pops up somewhere <laughs> as a theme. <laughs> so I was like, I think a lot of geniuses and people with creative minds have that natural instinct to just study humanity. Do you think that's something that you developed as a kid or like is something you more so grew into with your artistry? I want to say both because I've always been curious. Mm -hmm. I always ask why. I asked why and I still ask why. Mm. Just about, yo, I heard a Timberland. How did they do that? Why did he do that? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to get a degree? Why can't I wear pink? Mm. It's a color. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, like, like yes. it doesn't, like, who made pink? All these different questions. It's been kind of like brewing up since I was younger. And now I'm a lot more attentive, intentional, because even outside of music, when I'm being nosy, I'm just listening, you know? Yeah. I'm just really listening and being there for that person in that very moment. But then my creative instincts and juices are also able to connect and tap into me being present with that person, and then it becomes an idea or record, things I want to do with music and like with film, with all these different things. I'm, I'm just learning more about myself, but that's me just being like really attentive and trying to be as self-aware as possible. Definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like everything's kind of a vessel or a medium of expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. But mm. there's always a little like, a little... I want to say wildness or thinking out of the box that comes with being creative. Like I, I always reference how it, it sounds a little absurd to say I'm going to put together scraps of metal and fly people through the sky. People probably lock them up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but now we have a whole airplane industry. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, man, right. if you think something might sound valid, man, don't be your own critic. There's already enough critics out there in the I world willing to make you question yourself. I say sometimes you got to tell that inner voice, shut the hell up. <laughs> Don't even like, know. Get behind me. <laughs> Have that filter. So, like, how would you say your sound from Soul Fro all the way to Mirage has changed and evolved? Mirage is the sound that I've been looking for since even before Soul Fro. I released like a short EP called like Decade Experiment. And each project just kind of it's a reflection of where I've been. I was just really like experimental as far as who I was listening to. But Sofro is more like, okay, I like jazz, I like R&B, I love hip hop. I'm just gonna try everything. Mirage is matured. There's a version of Mature Manny that wants to just focus on one sound, which is the fusion of R&B, soul, and Afro, and that's it. For, for a long time, it's always been like Afro mixed with everything, which was uh, soulful, but this is like strictly R&B, so like music from, from the soul and for the soul. 
Definitely. That that makes a lot of sense because listening to Mirage, I noticed it has a fluidity to it. I, I literally said Mirage is like silk. You know what I'm saying? You feel like you're going through <laughs> the evolution dope. of a story. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, dope. <laughs> yes. You created an experience and I think that's what you said your mission was and I felt mm-hmm. that from the top to the final track and that's hard to do. You know what I'm saying? Creating yeah. a, a full experience where someone almost feels like they're going through a wind tunnel or like those underground tunnels in a car. You go in, mm-hmm. the lights is flickering and you come out the other side. And and also having viewers slash listeners have that kind of that emotion they feel at the end based on what their own experiences are. It's a nice fusion. Nah, you you hit it on the money because we were really intentional. I worked on a bunch of records and we picked the the top seven, the strongest seven. And even when we were like sequencing it, like trying to tell a story, I always said peace has to be first and a million has to be last. Mm. because this is a story of journey to finding yourself in the digital age that we you know live in it's very tough to do that too like right now especially the digital age i feel like in the last year has been even more heightened with our our unusual circumstances Mm mm-hmm And that's what was going to bring me to my next topic, touring, right? That's been a a huge thing for artists. That's a part of engaging with your fan base. That's income. It's, it's It's just a huge thing. And you're creating these experiences. Let me also first start off by saying this, y'all. Manny live. Manny live. I am literally not gassing this at all. Like Manny live is an experience, y'all. I remember going to some of your old shows and I'm like, yo, he outperformed goats. <laughs> like you have certain expectations where it's, oh, this is going to be good, but you just blow it out the water every time with the Thank live you, instruments and everything. But also for people who don't know, uh, Manny is a DACA recipient. How has being a DACA recipient as well as the pandemic influenced like touring for you over the last few years? Yeah, I'll start with being a DACA recipient. DACA stands for Deferred Actions for Childhood Arrivals. Obama passed this law which allows individuals like myself that came into the country at like a super early age to work, go to school, get jobs, start businesses, or whatever it is. Because we're undocumented, we don't have citizenship we weren't born here we don't have like social security so obama created that program to help us and that we have social security numbers we have work permits we can start businesses we pay taxes now and all these different things so that's what daca is and that just that really helped me out it kind of changed the trajectory of things being able to get a job like i, I was always like I did a lot of legal hustles, like buying and flipping shoes, buying phones off of Craigslist and kind of just support myself and help my mom because, like, my dad went back to Nigeria. So, and things were just really rough with the family. So, for a long time, I wasn't able to get a job. So now Obama created the program, which allowed me to get a job and work. But the thing with the program is you, you can't really travel so when I went on tour with Jadena, I couldn't, well, it's two reasons. The tour happened so quickly, the confirmation happened so quickly, and also Trump was in office. And Trump, one of his biggest things was to end the program. But in the program, you can get permission to travel under a few circumstances, work, humanitarian purposes, 
sickness or like death in the family, they file for something, put in an application. If they accept it, you can move around. So you'll be able to go to wherever it is that you need to go and do what you told them you're going to do and come back. So if it's in Nigeria or Jamaica. So when I went on tour, I couldn't go to Canada. And that was when things really started hitting me. My undocumented situation started hitting me a little before, but as things progress, I'm like, Dang, I can't even go to Canada tomorrow if I want and see my fans. And under that same program, some undocumented individuals don't have access to, they didn't have access to the first pandemic check that came through. Mm, the systemic issue as well. Yeah. Deep. Wow, I'm yeah. talking and I'm like listening to myself talk. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're having epiphanies within thinking about it. Since this show is all about intersectionality and being just black alone in, in this country, sometimes you're just so focused on the next day and survival that when you actually start thinking about breaking apart yourself and experiences and how that relates to the world, you realize how many parts of yourself it's easy to neglect when when you're so focused on just survival instincts day to day. But that check just really hit me too. Like, dang. <laughs> on, on top of that, well, it's just a lot. So with the darker stuff, didn't get the first thing that happened with the pandemic that even my team and I, we tried to like help out do like streams and all that stuff. So that's that. And then the pandemic hits, that just completely erased traveling contact with people yeah. like completely oh you know like we've been in it for was it a year and a half thank god we're like slowly hopefully getting out of it or getting to a better space but the pandemic just completely shut things down so artists musicians specifically had to get creative with how they connect with people and how they survive and make money yeah it, it's been really not only interesting, but illuminating mm -hmm. to see when you take away something that's fundamental to people. I felt like we were saying systemic, the system gets exposed or the, the things that are lacking get exposed. And so I felt and tell me if you agree with this music artists, when this piece was down, it showed the lack of support, honestly, for musicians outside of live touring. Mm hmm Both financially and just opportunity wise. It was just an interesting time this time last year, trying to figure things out. Like, mm -hmm. one, how do I pay my bills? How do I eat tomorrow and next week and all these things? But then how do I get a little bit of money from and with people? So are we getting money from brands? Are there investors that are spending money, especially if you're an independent artist and you have like a label funding a few things. And the machine. <laughs> the machine. It just like musicians and creatives were in a really interesting space for a long time, like in the last 12 months. A few people work virtually, you're still getting paid, getting all these things with musicians and certain types of creatives. We had to figure a lot of things out, so. Oh yeah, yeah. and that's interesting that you put that way as well with the digital work, because that's my lane of expertise and whatever. And I noticed it's digital work has been like a thankless job for so long. And a lot of people, they shit on it basically. That's literally how we've been perceived. But I think it's interesting now because the last 12 months, even musicians had to start respecting the hustle of digital work because now we're seeing a lot of musicians even that do have the machine behind them 
starting YouTube channels and doing series and getting more mm-hmm. into TikToks and all TikToks. different things. Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, never thought I'd see the day y'all in here. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> I've always, I mean, honestly, you made me respect it because I remember I was at the studio and you were editing a video for a long time. It was like the whole day. Yeah. And you were trying to get it right. And I was I would go to the bathroom, go to the kitchen, and while you were editing, I'm thinking like, yo, this is work. Like people think <laughs> you guys just hold up a camera and YouTubers and creatives and just dump it online. No. <laughs> I Easy. It's, what's been nice too is people started doing this new thing where I've seen it on TikTok I've seen it on YouTube where it's similar to how in film they say breaking with the, the fourth wall where like it, I know the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air used to do that sometimes flip the camera up and you see you're like how are all these lights getting here and it's like studio lights and stuff I've been seeing a lot of creatives breaking the fourth wall where they're like they'll show something that looks like a simple TikTok and you'll see oh wait there's a tripod a camera they have soft boxes and all these things and it's a full production, but I'm happy that people in the music industry are tapping in because I feel like we are useful to each other as both promotional and a bunch of things we could learn mutually from each other. Because now also a lot of digital people are getting into live events and touring and things like that. Like we we're seeing podcasts literally go on tour now and stuff like that. So that actually, now that you say it, you just reminded me when we, you were talking about us being in the studio, right? So again, that, that's that been like one of the best parts of our friendship, being able to just bring work to the studio while you're working on things. But like even through all our fun in the studio, there was one day that still stands out in particular because it was a day that a lot happened in the world as well as so it was a memorable day just in friendship where it, we were together at the studio with a bunch of creatives the day that... Donald Trump actually got announced into office. You remember that? I can see it on your face. You, Yo. You were there. Yes, I was there. Remember that? And everybody came out the rooms and stopped working. And we were all just crowded around that TV. You remember? You were there. That's crazy. That's so true. You were there. Wow. It was two part for me, right? So the night before we were creating and I was telling a bunch of people like, this guy's going to win. Donald Trump is the president. And I was saying it for three weeks straight. Everybody thought I was crazy. But he took over media and he got to his audience so well that they came out and supported the nonsense that he is. But he did it way better than his opponents on top of the system that the United States already dwells on. When you put those two things together... It's going to be victory. So that was day one. And then I think the more the day you're talking about was like the day that it was when they were tallying. Yeah. We we started watching like it was getting it was starting to get real close because that Mm -hmm. election came down to the popular vote he lost. And so we but it was getting close in the popular Mm -hmm. vote and we were just looking at the states and you know how it is on election night when all the the few like really Mm -hmm. swing states start coming in. And I remember, like, we were joking, laughing. It was a lighthearted day, but there was, like, this air of, like, tension just looming over everybody. And I think we was all trying to distract ourselves through art. (laughs) But, yo, I remember somebody was like, yo, I think this is getting a little too close. And everybody, we just stopped and all came out there and everybody was just silent. Oh, my God. What is it, deja vu? Yeah. I remember that day because I could never forget that day. 
because I, it felt like a battle, mm. almost spiritual. Yeah. What you just said was like we were all like fighting that negative thought. And I feel like I had it most because I was really always thinking about Donald Trump winning. That's going to do for me. What that and like, means. But I would cover it up and try to just make it a joke. But I was really serious. Dang, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask what was going through your mind in that specific moment when they confirmed it. Honestly, I thought about crying. Mm. I don't think I... No, I shed a tear the next morning that I, like, that I got up. But I was, I was just telling myself, dang, he's president. What's about to happen? You know it was just like <laughs> it opened a can of worms that you just didn't What's know. What's about to happen? And I just, yeah. wow, this is crazy. I remember going home and not knowing what to say to my mom. Mm. And we just took like a deep breath and just kept pushing. You know, I don't think we ever talked about that moment, but we just kept pushing. That's crazy. Yeah, we never got a chance to talk about it because it was just how people react in moments. I think everybody was kind of in shock that evening. Mm-hmm. And everybody, it was just an air of... I can't believe this. And like just yeah. sitting there, just like rubbing your eye, like, uh, did I read this correctly? You know? uh, and, and I think going back and processing it was just very strange because being there with you as well illuminated something within myself because, you know, I'm first generation. So uh, then I really started thinking because my mom has been here since childhood as well. And we have a lot of people in our family that were undocumented, not putting nobody out there. But you know what I'm saying? But I think that victory made my mom even kind of stop and be like, whoa, what? You know what I mean? Uh, if this person is in power, are they going to rescind somebody that got like the temporary paperwork mm-hmm. or, the, or other types of paperwork are they going to be null and void there's those kind of fears too that's crazy yeah like just thinking about everybody being first generation i was like yo does this mean like in worst case you think about it, worst case scenarios you i was like always. am i gonna be in america by myself and have to like make a, a hard decision of like where to go you right. know to be that's with crazy. my family or something you know that was 2016, y'all. But I remember that day vividly because it's something about like world events and very specific days that I was just like, yo, that that day grilled into my mind a little bit. So we gently dived into this, but how has being undocumented altered your path? We talked about not being able to get a job and things like that, but actually, can you actually tell us how you found out? Because I know that story really impacts me, but I know some of our listeners may not have ever heard it or need to hear it today. Yeah, so I wanted to get my license. I wanted to get my permit. Mm. No. And and I was like, yeah, you know, it's time to go get my permit. I'm 16. My mom was like, ah, screw. This mm. is what it is. And that's when, remember when I said it's hit me in like different kind of like stages? That's when it mm. first hit me. So I told myself, you know what? I'm going to go to college. I love music, but I'll do music after soccer. And to get to college, I'll play soccer. Mm-hmm. I'll get nice and then maybe play for Nigeria. And then playing soccer, not having like enough information or like how do you navigate in this in the system because this, there are a bunch of systems built in the United States in music, in entertainment, in everybody wants your health. social for something mm-hmm. or your tax document or your this or your that. They ask for these things at every step of the way for basic things as well. And so not really knowing much about that, um, I wasn't really able to take soccer scholarships. And so I had 
dreams of doing D1 and playing soccer and all that stuff. But that didn't happen. So I went to like community college and in community college, I had to pay like international fees. What? I had no idea. That's one reason why I didn't, when I even transferred to UMBC, I could only take one class, mm. which was a lot of money that we just didn't have. Oh, my you know? goodness. So that pushed me to making a decision to come make music and just go crazy with music. So I left school to make music. And my thing with music was I knew that music was global and something would happen. And I needed to just walk in purpose to get to my mission. And then even in that, just getting deeper in music, go again to a space where I can tour, realizing that, dang, okay, I can't even go to Canada. Oh it just took God. me to another step. And when I got there, I'm like, so what is going on? Like, what? Mm-hmm. What needs to happen? And, and we're here now, pushing through, making strides. And I'm just grateful to be alive at the end of the day. I feel like there's so many people listening that'll be able to either relate or know somebody that is in this situation. Because for people listening, this is not uncommon. For example, as of September 2020, the average age of a DACA recipient is around 27 years old. Millennials are getting hit really hard with mm-hmm. this as well. And I know a lot of my audience just does fall into that like zillennial, millennial category. So mm-hmm. it's it's not uncommon. And then also I wanted to just shed some light for y'all as well because there are some misconceptions. People think that DACA recipients aren't working, yada, yada, yada. And when in reality, it's the fight to be able to. Right. <laughs> so even as of 2017, they said 93.3% of DACA eligible individuals were actively employed in 2017. So yeah. just to shatter some of those uh But speaking on that, what are some misconceptions about immigration and families who immigrate to the United States that people might have? When, for some reason, when you talk about undocumented or immigrants, people think Latino. They never think Black. Sometimes they never even think white. They just think Latino. So that's why I stepped into that space to kind of represent Black people. And the deeper I got, I realized they were other black people that are are undocumented and speaking up for what they believe in. Absolutely. I would definitely say you put a different perspective and spin on the fact that undocumented people and families come in all shades from all types of different continents, countries, all that, and there's no one specific person. So when you are fighting in favor of people being able to work, go to school, and just have like basic life necessities or even be able to travel, it's literally helping millions of people in this country. And even if it was one group, so what? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) A lot of this stuff doesn't affect people personally. And and that's where my confusion is. Like, even people who have salary jobs be pressed about raising minimum wage. And I'm like, how does this affect you in any way? (laughs) Like, mind your business. Do something helpful or mind your business. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge misconception. And I think something else you said that I think sticks out as a misconception is that people who are undocumented or what have you do not pay taxes. And I think that that's a big, huge misconception. But let me tell you, if I tell you, if I tell you how much I got to pay in taxes, this is the most, first of all, I'm grateful. This is the most <laughs> I've ever had to pay back in taxes. It says a lot, but it still hurts it's a lot of money. And oh my gosh. We pay taxes. <laughs> 
We pay a lot, I pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> Too much. Oh my gosh. And it's crazy because they said even if you were to rescind DACA and deport, quote unquote, everyone eligible for the program, you would be removing over 2 million working age individuals from the United States and the vast majority of those whom contribute to the U.S. economy. So, like, literally the economy cannot afford to not have DACA in place. It actually is a stimulus. People are only, like, looking at, you know, those people, like, they're taking jobs and they're taking money. If you just look at it from that lens alone, that's not true. Like, this is actually very much helping the economy yeah. significantly. People, people don't know that, but that's because they're just one media. They're paying attention to mm. one narrative. And they're just stuck in their own world. Like, as with social media and the media, people are, can now live in their own worlds and think that they're correct. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, it's crazy. There's been talks about how even newspapers going under and how newspapers were our most real source of journalism. And a lot of journalism is kind of a dying art right now where a lot mm -hmm. of the media is performative. It's theater. Mm -hmm. And it's not always fact-checked. Sometimes it's about just getting views and stories. It's media has become kind of like social media in a way. Mm -hmm. It's about clicks mm -hmm. and engagement mm -hmm. and things when yeah. it really should be about uncovering truth. Yeah. And I think that element disappearing is really fucking scary, honestly. Because people, and they genuinely believe what they're seeing. And even I try to challenge the things I see because there's fake stories on my end and things like that. And I'm like, yo, this is doctored footage being sent out to people, millions of people thinking of it as real. And I was like, yo, if I was seeing footage like this, I'd be pissed off. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think it's just about trying to get that truth back out there, which is mm -hmm. again what this podcast is all about, is trying to, you know, expose people to different people without you physically being in that room. With that being said, what do you feel like, despite everything you've had to endure on this journey from, you know, multiple battles at the same time, what do you feel has been one of your biggest personal milestones and career milestones? Because I feel like sometimes those are different. That's a good question. I mean, okay, personal and career kind of connected. There's something, like, I don't want to say intuition, but, like, I, I, I sometimes call out things that happen mm. in music and, like, business. Mm. I pay attention to people that pay attention and study like history and patterns. And by paying attention to them, I'm able to say, oh, this is gonna happen. I think we should promote my music in this space. Mm. We didn't really do it. I tried, but I would see other people do it and take off. So like mm. calling out things like that, it's just cool to watch myself become more self-aware and grow. Mm. And validate it as well. Cause that's like yeah. experiences definitely validate. When you think mm -hmm. something, and then that little stupid voice in our head, that'd be, no, that's a dumb idea, bro. Like, yeah. oh, bro, what are you doing? And then you see it blow up. It's just like, damn, I was right. I need to stop <laughs> stop letting that little secondary you voice. You did the same for you, too. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you were telling me. People thought it was silly, but it's funny because everybody that's like OG YouTubers and stuff, mm -hmm. they know that, like, we were trying to put everyone on. We was like, bro. Make something right now. Just, I don't care if it's you blowing your nose and walking down yeah. the sidewalk, man. Just post something <laughs> on there. Because uh, I remember YouTube before it was even monetizable. That's crazy. I knew that other platforms were going to start being monetized because it only made sense. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Where the business model is just too sound. So yeah. like, when I see something new getting pushed, I'd be like, we are on it. <laughs> Every Just going ham on everything. And 
So that's a big thing that a lot of people don't have that gift of intuition. Mm-hmm. So if y'all listening out there, if you have a really good idea to yourself, man, guard that idea. Treat it, treat it like your own child. Like really protect that idea, nurture that idea, and don't let anyone tell you it's foolish because right. people used to snicker at me and be like, "Oh, what are you doing? You talking right. to a camera?" And even being in like little lounges and stuff, people be like giving you that side eye when you're mm-hmm. vlogging. You, I still get the vlog side eye, but now more, a lot more people know what it is. What it is, yeah. That's crazy. But something I always tell myself is you have to go home with that product. You have to take whatever it is you made home. I feel like that applies to the studio as well, where if you if you shy to try a weird note or something like that, at the end of the day, engineers don't care that deeply. Mm-hmm. People And the public doesn't care. Nobody outside of yourself cares as much as you think they do about you fumbling the bag. Unless yeah. it's like some massive like criminal case or something like that. Right. Then we all tuned in. But yeah, like I, I just used to vlog and I used to initially be a little shy around it. But then when I realized, oh, crap, I might never see these people again. And sure, they might whisper amongst themselves, but I don't know what they're saying. And I might never know. But when I got to go home and edit Every time I let myself down and I was shy, I'm like, dang, I don't really like how this came out. And it sabotages mm. the work. So mm-hmm. y'all listening at home and just remember, you go home with everything you create every time. Right. I don't even remember what the people look like <laughs> that, that, was, <laughs> that was side-eyeing me. Couldn't tell you from a can of paint. But so what would you say is one of your biggest career milestones, too, now thinking about it? So great. Worked on a, a project by DACA recipients. Yeah. Won a Grammy. That's, Let the people know what the project's name is for anybody that um, might want to support. And like. called, <laughs> <laughs> American Dreamers, Voices of Hope, Music of Freedom, John DeVersa, big band featuring DACA artists. And I was one of DACA creatives that worked on it, played some piano, did some like background stuff and like little production here, tiny, tiny production. But it was dope mm-hmm. that it was like a it's a jazz album, so. Um, Amazing. Yeah, that's one. And honestly, just meeting people yeah. that respect my work and that are bigger than me, you know, like not bigger mm-hmm. in the sense of maybe social media numbers and just being in the public eye more than I am. Them mm-hmm. reaching out to like work. Oh, those are like cool milestones. Wow, this person knows who I am. Like I'm working with one of the dopest piano players in the world, top five in the world ever. And wanted to work with me, which is such an honor. Hashtag very rare information, you know what I'm saying? But it'll be a release to the public in its yeah. time. Yo, so what do you have coming up? Like, I know it's a loaded question with the past year. A lot of people are just gearing up. But if, is there anything you could tell listeners about upcoming projects or anything you're working on? We have the live version of the EP Mirage coming out. There's a lot of, like, placements, like production mm. and writing for, like, other artists. So... Also, if any artist is out here lurking, you know what I'm saying? Don't be shy. <laughs> hit Manny email, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hit, hit the email up, hit his team, man. Definitely, he's so talented, number one. Very insightful. I've listened to some of the stuff that you've written for other artists and some of your placements that have just been incredible. And I know it's only up from here. So mm-hmm. with that being said, man, I'm just, number one, so happy that you, you came on today to the Count to 10 podcast. thank you for having me. Thank Absolutely. you for having me. And uh, let the people know where they can follow you, where they can find all your socials, all the good stuff that so they can support. 
Yeah, every everything is at Manny Wells, M-A-N-Y-W-E-L-Z. That's stage name, so you can find all on all like streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, He's Google, Google hey, Google, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? No, he comes right up, though. I'm not even, no cap, y'all. Like, <laughs> Manny Wells with a Z. Make sure you get the Z in there. No space. No space. <laughs> but there's always space for new of course (laughs) all right so i have a a little tradition that i do here at the Mm -hmm. count to 10 podcast because on this show we do talk about some topics that are a little bit heavier we have our lighthearted moments but they are a little bit intense so with that being said i like to end every show episode with a moment of silence to just realign do some breath work count to 10 and and get situated into the right headspace for the rest of their day so manny are you down to do that with me today let's do it all right everybody so wherever you are if you're in your car don't close your eyes we we need your eyes on the road but if you're at (laughs) home or whatever get as comfortable as you can all right and so we're gonna get started now take a you know deep breath in and out in and out one more in and out All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the Count to 10 podcast. This is your host, Bree Hall. We outie. Remember, I told you, go fuck some shit up today. Go do some great things. Go be a good person. Whatever that means to you, because being good is subjective. And I love y'all. Peace out, gang gang. We'll see you in the next episode.